Packers Daily with Jason Mertides. And welcome to your September 8th edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides, presented by Penn Medicine, the official health system of the Philadelphia Flyers and Wells Fargo Center. What we're going to get to in this episode is part two. Bill Meltzer is going to join once again, part two of Twitter questions. Again, these uh, two episodes dedicated to you, the Flyer fans, the people that frequently listen to this podcast, which, as I said in yesterday's episode, I appreciate, we appreciate so much uh, the fact that you tune into this podcast each and every day and uh, you, the listeners, and the people that tweet in are such a big part of it uh, with your Twitter questions and commentary and back and forth that we have gone through ever since we launched this in very late January. So uh, we're going to get to part two with Bill Meltzer in this episode of Flyers Daily. Real quick note, Chuck Fletcher, Flyers GM, is going to address the media coming up this week on Thursday. Uh, We will uh, have a a bunch of breakdowns of uh, what Chuck has to say in his end-of-season media availability. So many question marks, so many variables in this offseason. So we'll have a full breakdown of Chuck Fletcher's availability coming up on Friday's episode. He will be speaking Thursday, uh, early morning or late morning, early afternoon. So, And we'll bring that to you as well. But let's get to Bill Meltzer right now. Part two of Twitter questions. It is time for part two of Twitter questions dedicated to you, the Flyer fans, and back once again with us. You read his work on NHL.com, PhiladelphiaFlyers.com, HockeyBuzz.com. Flyers insider Bill Meltzer. Bill, another day away from that uh, heartbreaking loss. Are you starting to feel better? Yeah, you know, I, I think with each day you move along, you can look a little bit more at the, the big picture. Um, you know, when I uh, when I was writing this morning, I, mean, I, I tried to start from a, a positive place. You, go, you know what? Look, the, uh, the regular season, obviously the 26 games leading in, into the pause, you know, the Flyers were the hottest team in the NHL. It's over a quarter of a season. And, you know, we mentioned on the air yesterday that uh, that stretch of not having lost two in a row, that, that stretched right till game four of the second round of the playoffs. And, you know, and they, you know, I, just just you know, starting starting the postseason 4-0, and whether it was an illusion or not, I mean, and they still they still did it, you know, and um, getting getting within one win of, of a conference final in, in light of, being a much improved team during the regular season and, you know, have then you look at the youth of the organization. So I'm starting to feel, I'm starting to be able to look ahead a little bit more and not necessarily looking back to some of the things that were not so pleasant about the, the playoff run. We, we touched on some of that yesterday, but, uh, you know, yeah, with each, with each passing day, I think it gets a little bit easier to look ahead, but uh, to be, to be truthful about it, I mean, it's going to probably stick in my craw. And I think in a lot of people's craws for a while about how, you know, how about how it ended and how the Flyers really in that, that series never for, for 60 minutes found their, found their A game in any one game of that series. They got, they seem to be on the right track, you know, in game four, game five. But, uh, it just, you know, but it was never, they never, if, you, if you're going to go down, you want to lose, you know, feeling like you, the other team had to take your best shot to do it. And, and I don't feel like the Flyers ever hit the Islanders with their best shot. Whereas, you know, the Islanders, certainly hit the Flyers with their best. So that that's something that I think is going to stick with me for a while, but I think when you look at the big picture, yeah, uh, as you as you get some separation from the series, I think you can look forward and look ahead a little bit more. Yeah, to me it would be easier, you know, it, like this is going to be uh likely a very abbreviated off season. Um we don't yeah, know exactly sure. what we're counting down to right now. And here's where I want to start before we get to Twitter questions because you and I actually talked about this after taping part 1. Um, you know, the NHL season, when they put out the critical dates calendar uh, upon, with the return to play 
agreement was November 17th for training camp. Uh, well, the cup will be handed out no later than October 4th, immediately followed by the draft and free agency and the offseason program. And then a training camp uh, around November 17th uh, for teams and a start date of the season of December 1st. So I want to take this in a couple different directions, but let's start with that December 1st date first and foremost. Uh, are you hearing that that is still in play? Is that a flexible date? Is that going to be decided based on uh, where the virus is um, or if fans can be in the building? There's a lot of variables here. Uh, will teams exactly, travel? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, like Major yeah. League Baseball and uh, the NFL plans to. Um, so what are you hearing yeah, about not, December 1st? Yeah, I'm hearing that it's not a hard date. You know, there there is – there is some flexibility within that, particularly because, uh, you know, teams want fans back in the building sooner than later, understandably so. Um, you know, as of, uh, you know, it, it's going to, it's going to take shape over the fall. And I think, I think just as with the, with the return to play plan, you know, for this season, there were, you know, they said, they said target dates, but those were, those were kind of moving targets a little bit. And I think it's going to be the, the same thing. Um, you know, that we'll see, we'll see where things go with the virus. We'll see where things go with, uh, you know, several different things. And, uh, you know, and then, and, and of course, one other piece of that too is the American hockey league because yep. teams, farm teams, you know, if you're not expanding the rosters, where are some of these, where are some of these guys going to go play? Some can go play in Europe, but you got to figure out where they're going to be. And the, you know, the American hockey league and, is able to begin in time in December that that makes it a little bit easier, but then, you know, you don't want to end up with players in limbo either as the NHL season is starting. What do you do with these, these other players you might potentially be calling up. So they, I think there is some flexibility built into that. And that's just a, that's just a target date. Um, should we assume no fans, no HL, AHL, because that is a gate driven league. Could we, could we be looking at expanded rosters or like you said, players playing in Europe? I know, um, you know, the CHL and Major Junior has decided that uh, they will accept players for universities that already have canceled their seasons, like the Ivy League. Um, so right. what is the – is it predicated on fans for the AHL? Because, like you said, it is gate-driven. It's – yeah, it, it, it's pretty crucial for the American Hockey League to, you know, to be able to have fans in the stands. And also the uh, – also the, the opening of the U.S.-Canada border – um, that's, uh, that's contingent upon that as well. So that's, uh, those are, those are all things that have to be, all things that have to be figured out. I mean, if rosters expand when you're dealing with a flat cap to begin with, you know, uh, do you, are you granted, you know, exemptions for certain, certain guys who are entry level contracts? I don't, I don't know how that would work at this point. If there's not an American hockey league season, all that, you know, all that has to be clarified, I would think. So service time, you know, those are those. Yeah. I, I think those are all things that have to be all things have to be figured out for sure and and it's going to take a little bit of time till those things start to uh start to take shape and clear themselves up yeah and a trickle down effect to the the east coast league yeah. as well and uh, there, there's a lot there's a ton of variables here um bill one thing i didn't see in the twitter questions which i'll get to in a moment um was any questions actually i do have one so let, let me get to it actually right away because i can tie it into this okay um so, so uh shawnee actually tweeted in and said you know what is the ideal workload and both of our opinions for Carter Hart going forward. He's just turned 22, and we know that, uh, you know, you don't want to run a goalie into the ground, and there's going to be, obviously, with some sort of condensed schedule next year, we're presuming three and four nights, more back-to-backs than maybe standard would be. So what Shawnee said was, 
how much workload would you want to see for Carter Hart next year versus whoever, whoever is backing him up? And it ties me right into Brian Elliott, who is an unrestricted free agent. Um, first of all, we don't know that, that it's going to be a full 82 games, but thinking that it is, because I know that the league wants to play 82 games, uh, what would your number be for Carter Hart uh, at this point in his career for his development and considering some of the back-to-back and three and four nights and four and six nights that they may, they may see in this season coming up? I would say somewhere 52 to 55 games just because of the sheer number of back-to-backs and three and fours. You know, um, you know, otherwise you play it by year and then you see, okay, you know, how, how's he holding up? How's he coming along? You know, there, there's going to be um, – you, you want to see him handle more of the, road, the uh, load and road games next season. This past season he was outstanding at home. Of course, that was a non-issue in the playoffs with everything neutral site. But, um, but you'd like to see him handle a little bit more of the, the load on the road, especially as they got on the second half last year. It was almost like uh, Hart was the exclusive starter virtually at home. And then the majority of the starts on the road went to Elliott. I would like to see Hart pick up a little bit more of that. But it also depends on, on how the schedule plays off, just because you're starting, you know, in December at some point. And to get, if they are getting 82 games in, that, that may be tough. You may, you may see a lot of teams go, you know, tandem and not, uh, not necessarily 41-41, but something closer to that. But I think if you could get a, you know, 52 to 55 games from Hart, that, that's – you know, that would be a really nice number. 60 might be tough to get to. So that's, that's kind of the, the rough number I have in my head. But you, you kind of play it by ear, too, as you go along. And, okay, so let's look at what they have in the organization. Um, we, we know they have Kirill Ustamenko, uh, Sandstrom, Alex Lyons, uh, a free agent. Um, I don't feel any of those guys are ready to take on that load for a team that wants to make a serious run at winning the division to have in a normal year with fans – home ice advantage. Uh, so is Brian Elliott uh, the guy that they need a ticket to return? Obviously, I think the working relationship between Hart and Elliott has been very good. I think Moose has really helped him in a lot of ways. And I think uh, Brian also knows that at this point in his career, um, getting a starter job is very unlikely. But this is going to be a really interesting goalie offseason. There's so many names out there, uh, both unrestricted uh, guys that uh, are going to be available, veteran guys that may, may be a good 1Bs. Is Brian Elliott the, uh, the answer as uh, the tandem or partner for, for Carter Hart going forward? Well, you know, you also have to figure the cap component into it as well. Um, Elliott at 35, he's, you know, you're looking at one year. Wherever he's going, it's going to be a one-year deal. Um, if, you know, you don't have a lot of – they're not going to have a lot of wiggle room under the cap. So that's, that's going to be another component to it as well. If they're going to – bring Elliot back for the same or very slightly more money for one year, that, that seems to work. And then you reassess who your other goalie will be you know, going into the season. I just, I just don't see them being able to bring in any of the bigger names unless there's other restructuring of the roster. Um, you know, I mean, listen, I mean, look at the, it, it certainly worked out with the Islanders. They were able to turn to Grice in game seven when Barlamov was not great in that series. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Grice wasn't really tested very much and, in game seven, but the point is he won the game and he scored a shutout. So that's, uh, you know, it is, it is certainly a valuable thing in the league um, to be, to have two goalies you can count on, you know, in a, in a big game scenario, or, you know, if you're uh, if, truthfully, if you're a team like Carolina, you don't have one. So, yeah. you know, yeah. So I, I think that uh, the Flyers, 
have a great foundation in Carter Hart. If it's one more year, Brian Elliott, I'm fine with it. I, I just, I just don't see a scenario where any of the, the bigger name guys that are out there, you know, will be, uh, be, be realistic given the cap constraints. Yeah. And, and you look at Brian Elliott too. Um, I mean, it, look, I've always said if a goalie can transition to that role later in his career, there's really good money to be had for a long time. The body does not take a beating. Now he was at a $2 million salary. Uh, the past two right. years for, for the Flyers. Um, and, you know, would he even cut that deal below that to, to stay in the game? But like I said, I mean, look at some of the names that are out there uh, as UFAs this year. How about Braden Holpe, cup champion, Corey Crawford, two-time cup champion, uh, Robin Lehner, who uh, for Vegas has been great in Chicago prior to that and last year with the Isles. And then you look at an old veteran guy like a 39-year-old Craig Anderson, Jacob Markstrom uh, should have been a Vesna finalist at 30. Uh, with Vancouver, Demko looked good, but I don't know if they're ready to turn it over to him. Uh, Cam Talbot, uh, Thomas Grice, who you mentioned, yeah. Anton Hudobin, who right now is starting for the Dallas Stars, and they win game one. I mean, it, it is a yeah. Mike Smith available, Aaron Dell. Can, can, I mean, there's a ton of goaltenders. Ryan Miller, there's a lot of guys out there. So I just don't know where Elliott kind of falls in, in with this class, and th there's a lot of need for goaltending. And the other part of it, Bill, is there's an expansion draft coming after next season. And you can only protect right. one. <laughs> so you look at a team like Columbus, and they have Merzlikens and, and Jonas Corposalo under contract. So they're likely to deal one because otherwise they could lose one for nothing, you know? Crazy. No, for sure. And that's uh, – yeah, I mean, and I, I, you know, I think I would put uh, – I think i put Moose in the, you know, in the category with some of those older goalies. But I think he has you – know, I think he has more left in the tank at this point than a Craig Anderson, for example. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah I agree. You know, uh, so, you know, I mean, he'll, he'll have, he'll get phone calls and just, just the sheer glut of guys on the market and the limited dollars to spend means there are going to be some, some movement around with these guys. But, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I think that if it, if it were to work out that, that it's Elliot for one more year, I'm comfortable with that. Um, you know, if it's, if it's somebody else, that's okay too. Um, you don't want to, I mean, the one thing, one advantage the Flyers do have here is that Carter Hart is on his entry level deal for one more year. Yep. Obviously, he'll get a big raise after this coming season, but for for this next season, they have they have Hart at entry level prices. So that's uh, that that does if if you can figure out how you're allocating some other resources around the roster, that uh, that you may you may have a little bit of wiggle room there. But I think they're gonna they're gonna focus you know their their resources in other places. Yeah, yeah, I look at it too, and I go, you know, this whole situation and the create. It's why I think maybe Mark Bergevin made the trade for Jake Allen and is spending fifteen million dollars on his goalies, knowing about all these back to backs, and he thinks his team, based on the, how their performance in these playoffs against the Penguins and the Flyers for Montreal, uh, that if you have a rested Carey Price, you might be able to do some damage, and uh, they got to protect yeah. that a little bit. And they went out. And I can't, I can't fathom spending fifteen million dollars on goalies. In a flat cat, but Murph Archerman did that, or maybe he's using Elliot or Jake Allen rather uh, as a trade piece. All right, let's get to some Twitter questions. Enough about the goalies, where I obsess uh, a lot of times. But let's go to uh, Isaiah from up O and B podcast. Uh, great guy. He said, "Can the Flyers move into realistic cup contention, counting on internal growth alone, or does there need to be some creative cap and personnel management to affect a more significant change?" And this is a really good question. Because um, we looked at a lot of these guys, and we talked about a few of them, Nolan Patrick and, and Lindblom being back next year, Bill. And we know that at the beginning of that pause, Chuck Fletcher got to work and signed some entry-level contracts to Tanner Lasinski uh, and others. 
So, you know, who, who is ticketed here for the NHL next year? And uh, is, is there internal help on the way? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think that, you know, we, we talked a little bit about Nolan Patrick yesterday, you know, that it's a, a I'd call it more of a cautious optimism than, you know, being, counting on him after missing a, a full year. Um, but if, if Patrick can come back and get, get on track, I mean, it, it's very it's very easy to write a guy off as a bust. And then you look back at how long it took a guy like Sean Couturier. You know, he had, he had the, he had the goods defensively right from the start, but it took, it took Coots, you know, quite some time to actually really find his own offensively. You know, the, what we didn't disappoint with Nolan Patrick was that his second year was a lot like his first, but if you could, even if you combine the two years, 60 some points, I believe in his first two years, that's not a bad start in the league. Plenty of guys who've gone on to be impact players have, have, similar start to that in the careers. You're looking more for a consistency and sustained basis, obviously, in addition to health. So he's, you know, he's potentially a guy, particularly, remember coming into the year before we knew what the situation was, we said that bringing in Kevin Hayes would be a big help to Patrick because you get him in the little more favorable matchups behind Couturier and Hayes, then suddenly he's a third-line center. Maybe he's in more favorable situations. So that's, you know, that, that's an internal piece that would be a, be a huge boost if he comes back uh, and uh, healthy and, you know, getting back on track in his development. Um, I'm curious as to where Morgan Frost is going to fit in next season, uh, whether he's going to be moved to wing or or play center. And if he plays center, then, you know, are you basically moving, you know, I, I don't know how those pieces are going to move around. I mean, I, I would I would not be averse to trying Frost at a wing and occasionally playing some center. He did play he did play wing in the world juniors and did just fine at it. You know, he, he's been basically a center. I mean, he's the guy who I think can come in and be a relatively regular point producer. We don't truthfully, we don't know uh, what they're going to have in Wade Allison. Um, he was, he was one of the top collegiate goal scorers in the country, but that, that was midway through his sophomore year. And then most of his junior year and a lot of his senior year, he was, he was injured ever since he tore his ACL midway through his second season. He said, a a lot of issues staying healthy. When he's been healthy, he looks like a burgeoning power forward type. You know, heavy shot, gets the net, strong on the walls, uh, has, has some snarl to his game. A lot, a lot of things that, uh, you know, Wayne. are things that the Flyers could yeah, – yeah, for sure. Yeah. Wayne Simmons uh, But, you know, yeah. And, but how, how ready is he? You know, uh, I mean, it, it's uh, – you know, I think that that's, that's an open question. I don't think you go in penciling him in. Lashinsky, I think, is a guy who looks pretty close to – NHR ready. He played all four years in college. Um, what I like about Lashinsky is he's a guy you can move from wing to center. Um, I think he's going to start out at, you know, maybe in the fourth line, but he's a guy who has the upward mobility to potentially move some different places in the lineup and be, be a useful player. That's the kind of guy in a playoff series who in a playoff series might prove to be more valuable than his regular season numbers will look like. I think that may be the kind of guy Lashinsky may be as a pro. But we're not talking any kind of big goal-scoring, you know, forward with him, I think, as a pro. And, again, I don't know what you're getting out of Allison. Um, you know, I, I think Noah Cates is another year away from potentially turning pro, and he's another um, useful role-playing type. So in terms of the really big point-getters, I mean, you're hoping that Patrick is healthy and continues to develop. You're hoping that Morgan Frost can build on being an AHL All-Star as a rookie this year. That, that's about it, though. I think, you know, I, I think that – Otherwise, you're just looking to, you know, make other moves. I, I think another veteran move is 
necessary is, is what I'm getting at. And you also have to figure out if we're bringing another veteran, okay, you know, what do we do with James Van Riemsdyk? With three years ago in his contract, he's not a buyout candidate. Um, you know, I, I, it, it would be hard to get, it'd be hard to get value without taking salary back in such a trade. So, you know, uh, JVR and Ghost are two, two pieces you could move who are not, you know, who, who might be able to, you might be able to move some other piece around and get another veteran. Remember yesterday we talked about um, Ehlers um, as a, uh, you know, as a potential piece. And we also talked about uh, William Nylander a little bit too. I mean, those are, you know, those are, those would be a little more impact players possibly at an expensive trade cost. But so, I mean, I, I do think that the Flyers need that another piece. Um, I don't think you have to be, you know, in the top five in the league in scoring. I mean, the Islanders turned it on at the right time. They were certainly not a, they were certainly not an offensive juggernaut this regular season. They they put it, they pulled it together at the right time. Look, 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 look at how big the addition to them of JG Peugeot has yeah. been. Yeah. Now all of a sudden they now all of a sudden that solidified that third line and they have three legitimate lines they can they can throw at you and they did it at a high cost they did it at the cost of two first round picks so it's hardly a cheap acquisition that's uh, you also have to figure the acquisition cost too and then they extend them um, as well, but I yeah, yeah exactly so I, I think that uh, yeah I, I think that they they're going to look to make a, at least one more move of the veterans I don't think you can just say okay you know Morgan's going to come in boom sixty points uh, Patrick's going to be back you know, 50, 60 points. I, uh, that'd be great, but I don't know. You can count on that. So I think that, I think they have to look at, uh, you know, I think they have to look at what, what else is out there this off season. Yeah. It's um, you know, the free agent market is, is something that remains to be seen pending if Chuck Fletcher is able to kind of wheel and deal and, and open up some space to get involved with some of the, the guys that are available in free agency. I mean, there's some big names in there. I mean, you're looking at Taylor Hall, Nugent Hopkins, uh, Michael Grandland, um, you know, you have some big name, Mike Hoffman. Does he go back to, to Florida with a, a new general manager there? And uh, Bill Zito, you know, there's some, some interesting candidates out there uh, that will be available, Tyler Toffoli. So um, there, there's options if Chuck Fletcher can clear that space, but we shall see. Um, Anthony tweets in Spunky41182, and he says, starting the season, the expectation was to finally, in all caps, win a series, like a playoff series. He goes, but entering the pause – it was safe to say that we all felt this team could go deeper. So do we consider this year a success to those preseason expectations, a failure due to the falling short in round two, or some sort of mix of both? Where do you kind of fall on that, Bill? Because I, I'm a, a, Expectations change within a season, and you're allowed to change expectations. You don't make an expectation yeah. at the beginning of the season, and it's written in stone. They, they're, they kind of can be malleable. Um, so to me, I, I look – I don't like to use the word failure in a situation where players had to be away from their families that way, you know, um, disappointed. Yes, absolutely. Pissed off at the way game seven went totally. Um, but when I look at everything and, and I don't like to say success unless you get to a cup, uh, but I guess maybe the right term for me would be um, progress is probably the right word. Yeah, I, I would certainly, I would certainly say there's progress. You know, I, I think that, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to harken back to a, to an older season. If you remember when the Flyers were coming off the, that, the disaster 2006 07 season, worst season in franchise history, worst record in the NHL, you know, then they, they made a bunch of moves that off season, big, big splash. They're bringing Teeman in, they bring in Harden, they bring in Briere, right? Uh, you know, the Flyers were 
we're significantly improved in the regular season, but still not still not the top of the conference by by any stretch of the imagination. They had to qualify for the playoffs in the last week or two of the season. Um, you know, you get in get in the uh, they win their first round series. Then they ran and they played Montreal, who they could have got, I believe, swept by in the regular season series that year. And that was a series that was a little bit like the series with Montreal this year, um, just because of just because Montreal dominated the territorial play all series. So the Flyers happened to win that in five games because Marty Buron probably played the best hockey of his career as a Flyer, and R.J. Umberger went crazy in the last three games of that series, goal scoring. So the Flyers took Montreal out, and then they got stomped on by Pittsburgh in five games. So let, let's say the Flyers were to get past the Islanders. Let's just say that, you know, just for, just for, you know, just for fun and giggles here, we say that that, that tip shot and instead of his hitting the post goes in the net, you know, and you, rather than, rather than folding your tents, the first goal that scored against you, you somehow eke out a win in, in game seven and you move on. And then you get stomped by Tampa Bay. You know, is, is it a success? Is it progress? You know, I, I think that it's easy to, to be disappointed by how this series turned out. And I'm, I'm, I'm among those who was disappointed by this series. I think when you look at the big picture, um, you know, the Flyers still have a ways to go to get up to where the elite teams in the league are, despite what happened, you know, despite the Flyers sweeping the, uh, the round robin. I think that the, uh, the gap showed the, where the Flyers need to get better. Um, the Flyers are in that mix of teams that, uh, you know, once you're in the postseason, the things come together at the right time. You can, you know, you can make a bit of a run to to be a cup favorite. I, I think that's uh, that's a, still a little bit of a reach, but they're they're inching up on it. And um, you know, I, I think that it's it's not it's not completely out of the realm of possibility. If we were talking about a team that we thought um, heading into the pause might be able to pull it together enough to be a team that comes out of the East, well, I mean, they're still you know they still have the, those elements there. You just have to you just have to shore up the areas where you have some weaknesses. So I don't think. You know, I don't think the skies are as dark as they look, but I mean, truthfully, you know, I mean, the Flyers, you got you to look at the big picture, right? And there, there are certain matchups that are unfavorable to the Flyers. A team like the Islanders gives them trouble. And, uh, you know, you're, you're going to run into some problems when you play that kind of a team in the playoffs. And then obviously you have the teams like, you know, like the Tampa Bays or, you know, Vegas out West or whatever the case might be that, uh, you know, the, that are the favorites going in. So, you know, you need, you need a lot of things to break your way. You need good health at the right time. You need, you need a whole lot of things to, to win the cup. That's why it's not easy. That's why when you look at every franchise in the NHL, every team in the NHL that's been around for a number of years, it, at some point in its history goes through long droughts without a cup. You know, we, we could, uh, I think you and I did, did a show on this one time and it's like, you know, like the Rangers have one cup in 80 years. Toronto hasn't been to a final since there were six teams in the league. And they've had, you know, they've had teams that have been good enough to win along the way. It's just you need everything to break right at the same time. St. Louis finally won their first cup last year, and they came in the league the same time the Flyers did, right? Chicago, when they beat the Flyers in 2010, that ended a 50-year drought. I mean, it sucks. It, 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 you know, it's really tough to be in, that, in those long droughts. But the truth of the matter is that, you know, you – Building a contender is by design, you know, it, it is design, but to actually take those final steps and go over the top and win the cup, you need, you need a lot of things to break your way and not, not all of which are in your, under your control. So you just try to build a contender, open a window for as long a period of time as you can, fill in the pieces as you can and, and hope, 
you get the breaks that you need. Yeah, it's being well positioned. Bundy brought that up a couple episodes ago, talking about it, talking with Craig Berube. Um, and, and he told Bundy, he said, look, Bundy, as good as we were, we still needed a bunch of bounces along the way. You just need things yeah. to go your way at the right time, critical moments of games, critical moments of series. And that's what it takes to win that trophy. And it's interesting too, Bill, because I look at it, you just brought up Tampa Bay. Um, and I look at Tampa Bay and I go, you know, there's a, there's a such thing as being built to win a lot of hockey games. And then there's also a such thing to be built to win a lot of hockey games, but also be built to win the cup. And we saw that with right. Tampa Bay, you know, they great team for, for a number of years, it's been to a couple conference finals, um, but to be able to go all the way, and we don't know if they're going to go all the way this year or not with the, the additions that Julian Breesbaugh made with guys like uh, Barkley Goudreau and Colby Coleman and Patrick Maroon. But uh, seemingly those kind of players are what you need because the playoffs are a, an absolute war. That's a marathon. And that team was built for sprints and didn't have to play with a lot of structure. They play with a lot more this year. Um, but maybe that'll give them a better chance. So there, there's a lot of elements to this equation. And if anything, these playoffs they did was they exposed that, okay, we might be a, a team that can do some damage in a regular season, but when you're playing a team in a multi-game series, like a best of seven, uh, you also got to be able to wear down your opponent. So maybe that's in the cards for Chuck Fletcher as well. Oh, absolutely. You know, the uh, people are saying that they, I heard the Flyers need to get faster and it would help. I mean, certainly I think the Flyers do need to get a little bit faster, but you also need to get stronger too. It's those, those, those players that, that are both, that are so valuable as role players. I mean, obviously the guys who are big, you know, fast, and also have hands are your superstars in the league. But, but even some of your role players, that, that's where a guy where I thought like where uh, Tyler Pitlick was quietly very effective in the playoffs because he's a big guy who can also skate. So he can, he can grind on the walls. He could also, you know, he could also get down the ice and get in on the forecheck and just play that north-south kind of game. Sometimes those guys who uh, – you know, like Michael Roffo is a good example. Plays a very simple game. Never puts up, you know, much in the way of numbers in the regular season. But he was very valuable to the team in the playoffs. Those are the, those are the kind of guys you need, you know, filling out, filling out those lines. Why was it that uh, Washington finally went over the top after all those years of being that kind of team that won President's Trophies and they were, you know, they were always in the list of favorites. You know, they, they added they added some depth pieces to them that, that were able to be able to to withstand some of those wars of attrition in the playoffs. And there's no guarantee there are no guarantees. But I think that uh, you know, you need you need the right mix because, you know, if you go too much in one direction, you know, too big but too slow, then a speed team is gonna pick you apart. You go too small and too finesse, then a then a bigger, heavier team is gonna wear you down. So I think you need to have you need to have elements of, of everything on a roster and then you have to tie it together with, you know, the coherent system, which I do think the flyers have. I mean, you know, I, I, they could, they could have executed that system a whole lot better in the, uh, at times in the, in the playoffs. And one of the biggest disappointments to me, quite truthfully, is that, that problems that were problems heading into this year that were solved, that seemingly solved um, things like uh, things like weak side coverage by the wingers that really, you didn't even have to worry about it anymore because it was, it was, seemingly fixed all of a sudden as they, they wore down in the uh the islander series especially in especially in game seven where the first two goals were defense and pinching in if defense and pinches in down you know that far in that means that no winger is covering him he's wide open and that happened twice then the flyers are suddenly the two nothing hole that wasn't really happening all year you know yeah, um not, point, at least not, yeah. not so uh, you know so you know you need to you need to execute within the system you need the right 
personnel pieces too. I think that uh, you know, I, I think there's more fine team fine tuning to do. Uh, it would be nice to add another big piece as well. Um, you had said yesterday, and I agree with you that you talked to a GM who said, you know, you don't overreact based on this very unusual playoff year, but you do have to, you know, you do have to uh, know you, you have to be honest with yourself too, and, and pre-scout yourself a little bit. I mean, other teams kind of have a blueprint for playing the Flyers. Montreal gave the Islanders a pretty good good blueprint. The Islanders were not a uh, even in, even in the Washington series. We, you know, the Islanders are more of a an opportunistic team. They're not they're necessarily a, a team that just pounds you on the forecheck. They're a very physical team, but as as a puck possession team, the Islanders were towards the bottom of the league. But you would never know that from watching that series with the Flyers because they killed the Flyers on possession. So, you know, I, I think that the Flyers realize that uh, you know other teams expose some weaknesses and they need to address them. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great point. And uh, once the book is out, that sometimes you got to be ready to change because teams know how to play it. All right, last Twitter question, Bill. This comes from uh, FlyerPat87. Um, he said, I love uh, G, as in Giroux, uh, but it seems like this core and Giroux-led teams lose their offense in playoffs. He said it cost them in 2012, 2014, Game 7, which was against the Rangers. Uh, not so much 16 and 18, but definitely last uh, this last series. He said the D is short up. Are 30 to 40, 40 goal scorers not in the Flyers' future? So let's take this in a couple of directions. First, I want to start with Giroux in particular. At this point in his career, 32 heading to 33, Bill, is he a guy that should be – is he a top-line winger at this point, or is he a guy that would be better served at this point in his career to move down to a third-line winger position? Well, yeah, I mean, he is two years removed from his 100-point season, you know. Um and you do have to say, okay, you know, at what point is at what point is he no longer a top line player? To me, he still is a top six player. He still is a guy who can, you know, play on your first power play unit. Um, you know, now you have to make some accommodations around that. There's some adjustments that are needed. Uh, you know, I mean, the funny thing is, is that uh, not really all that funny, but I mean, he was he was on a he was on a really good run at the time of the pause. Uh, I think he had something like 15 points. And the eleven, the eleven games right before the pause, so he was in his best groove of the season. Now, would he have carried that through all the way through a playoff run? Probably not, but I think he was one of the guys who was affected by the pause and just never got back to where he was before. I mean, Giroux, Giroux was a big part of the reason why the Flyers were so hot heading into heading into that stoppage, and that's part of to, to me the not overreacting. On the other hand, I, you know, I, I think you have to look at every playoff year differently. Um, you know. 20, 2012, I mean, he was he went he went nuts in that series against Pittsburgh, and um, you know yeah, that's sure that Island cost did, them in twenty twelve, yeah. like the like the tweeter yeah. said. <laughs> yeah, and twenty fourteen, that series doesn't get seven games, not for zero. He was yep. the Flyers' best player in that series, along along with Steve Mason. Those yep. those are the two main reasons that series got to seven games. Now you have to go from 26, 26, 2018, and twenty twenty, and none of those are very good series. Or, or well, the one he's dealing with the double core yeah. injury. That's correct. That was 2016. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so you, you almost, you almost throw that out, but that, that Pittsburgh series, you know, that he wasn't very effective in that series and he wasn't very effective this time around. And of course, 2018, he had what, 20 points over the final 10 games that year to get the Flyers into the playoffs. Yeah. Patrick so, in the last game you know, of the season. <laughs> yeah. Patrick last game of the season, everybody was chanting MVP, MVP. So it's, you know, it, I don't know. I mean, I, should he still be the focal point of a team's attack? I would say no, 
is he still a top six forward on a team? I'd still say yes. So it's you know what what else do you move? What else do you move around? I would not be, I would not uh, you know I, I would not be uh, automatically saying no to moving out a, a core piece and doing some restructuring. But uh, you know to say to say that Giroux still can't be a, a top player in a top six and play an important role in a playoff series, I wouldn't I wouldn't go that far yet. Yeah, I'm not there yet either in regards to uh, Giroux as well, and and we'll see. You know how Chuck Fletcher handles this very unique cap situation that he's in. It's a good thing he went to Harvard, Bill, because <laughs> I'll tell you, this is, <laughs> woo, man, I'm telling you, this yep. is uh, quantum yep. physics with uh, trigonometry and uh, calculus. You name it, <laughs> all stuff, yeah, rocket science. No I don't know it. <laughs> um, no doubt. So. Well, that's going to put a wrap on uh, Twitter questions. One last thing, Bill, I just want to echo one thing, and uh, I'm sure you agree. Um, it, it's been, you know, a couple of days now since the loss, but um, I think I'm finally ready to, to, to kind of say, like, you know, almost, you know, thank you to the players who, you know, left their families and everything um, to go and play this game and, and come back. And, look, we didn't know that there was going to be zero positive tests. There, we all assumed, and, and I think the players did as well, that they were incurring some risk which is why some players opted out, frankly. And the fact that they did come back and, you know, be away from their families, their children, their, you know, whatever it might be, their loved ones, um, you still got to give stick taps to the guys for that because, um, you know, getting the game back on the ice was really important. And especially for hockey fans who wanted to see this thing through, it didn't end the way we wanted. It didn't look the way we wanted it to. But um, when it comes to the fact that, they still did make a lot of sacrifices to go back and, and give us the game and give the fans, you know, a, you know, a little bit over a month of uh, quality entertainment and highs and lows and everything that comes with, you know, being a fan of sport. Uh, stick taps are much deserved to all the players, coaches, and and staff that did that. Yeah, and also out of the players' families as well because they make they make yep. a ton of sacrifices so that their, you know, husbands, fathers, um, you know, can can pursue their dream of winning a Stanley cup. And there's a, you know, Brian Elliott brought up that point. I think, I think it's an excellent point that it's, uh, you know, there's, there's a whole lot that goes into it behind the scenes and listen, they are, they are human beings, you know, um, a couple, couple guys left, uh, babies that were in, well, in Sean Couturier's case, I think three days old and James Van Riemsdyk's case about a month old. It's not easy. You know, you're still, you're still human and it's, uh, it's not easy. That does, that doesn't, that doesn't provide any excuses on the ice if you don't, play up your capabilities but there's there's a lot more that goes on than, than meets the eye and we also don't we also don't know what the injury story is yet that's usually part of the the exit day as well yeah and we uh chuck fletcher i believe is going to speak on thursday we'll find out about if any players uh have end of season availability or uh the coaching staff as well and drew missed the birthday of his uh son gavin uh was in august uh, i think around the 26th or so um but yeah these, yeah these are the sacrifices that these guys made to come back and try and chase that cup and they weren't able to chase it all the way down, but uh, we're all hoping, all the fans are hoping as well, that they'll be able to do that here in the very near future. Bill, once again, part two is in the books. Great job, as always. Appreciate you doing this, and we'll talk soon. Oh, awesome, yeah. Special thanks to Bill Meltzer for joining us once again on this edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Martinez, presented by Penn Medicine, the official health system of the Philadelphia Flyers and Wells Fargo Center. Supporting our Flyers, Penn Orthopedics creates the ideal care plan with treatment options fueled by our own world-renowned research doing what once seemed impossible, so you can too. Another reason why your life is worth Penn Medicine. Learn more at pennmedicine.org slash ortho and give them a follow on Twitter at Penn Medicine. It's going to put a wrap on this episode of Flyers Daily. Everybody, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you on the next episode of Flyers Daily. Gypsy,